Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. We're going to continue in a series that we've, um, we've, uh, where we talked about slavery and being sons and not slaves, being free. Um, no longer slaves, and uh, we've looked at the book of Galatians, so I'd love it if you'd turn there. I'm going to read from, um, from the prophecy of Isaiah before we start. You know, this, this is a really significant day for us um, when we commission and release um, a bunch of friends who formed community to go and be church. And it's significant because I, I hope that we do this regularly. I hope this becomes a normal rhythm and pattern of life. This body grows and we plant. This body grows and we plant. Or we plant and this body grows. And uh, I hope that happens because I believe that the best way, the best way of seeing people saved and lives transformed in Edinburgh and in Scotland is we plant fresh churches with fresh life, with fresh vision, with fresh passion for who Jesus is. So it's a significant day. And today I want to talk about freedom. And it's not unrelated. Um, uh, So let's, let's read together from Isaiah chapter 54 and then in Galatians chapter 4. Isaiah 54 is, um, is written hundreds of years before Jesus and refers to what will happen when Jesus comes and what will be the result for the Jesus people. And the prophet says this, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. And then Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 21, but let's give some context to this. Paul is writing a letter to a group of churches in the region of Galatia, and it's his most vigorous and at times violent of letters. He's like really hacked off. I just used my daughter's idiom. He's like really hacked off. Um, He's kind of angry. I mean, he's angry because... Uh, these guys have become Christians and it's incredibly exciting they've become Christians but the moment they came to faith a whole bunch of people came down from Jerusalem we're, taught, we're told that they're called Judaizers and they come down from Jerusalem and they say what you've got is really good what you've got in Jesus is great now if you then add the Jesus stuff to all the Jewish stuff if you obey the commandments and the laws and the precepts and the practices and you look more Jewish than the, than the Jewish people then you're going to be cool and it's going to be okay then you'll really have the gospel and Paul is absolutely infuriated by this this is this is an abomination he says how dare you Take freedom away from those who have just been given freedom. And then he begins to argue his case. And and, uh, he argues his case by telling a story back from the Jewish history book. 
And he says this, verse 21. Tell me, it's quite aggressive. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. But his son by the free woman was born as a result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, and then he applies his thinking to uh, Isaiah chapter 54, for it's written, be glad, O barren woman who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It's the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And now here comes the key verse in the whole of the book of Galatians. It's like the pivot point. It's the high point. Everything moves towards this point, and everything is going to flow out of this point. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free free. This, this whole subject of freedom and, and of grace and what it means to be free children of grace is so, so relevant to our culture, isn't it? There is always, it seems, this, uh, this movement towards freedom inside us. It's kind of natural, isn't it? I, Nikki and I are in a different stage of our life. We've just moved out to the country, and, and it's brilliant, and it's amazing, but, but every now and again when there's an argument, the kids say, you've taken our freedom, which I kind of understand because there's no buses within about three miles, and we have to, and they don't drive yet, and it's all a little bit, but, but actually it's because they've got a, a really deficient view of freedom. We, 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 I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. Uh, and, 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 and we're in a position where our kids are beginning to leave. You know, they, they, are, they are expressing their, not because we've moved to the country. <laughs> they're expressing their freedom. We've got one who's about to go to university, possibly in the United States, one who's about to go to Washington to do an internship, one who's away anyway, and one who is left. And they think they're getting their freedom and we think we're getting ours. There is this kind of, there's this kind of always this, this move towards freedom. But there is in our culture a wholly deficient understanding of freedom. Freedom in our culture it means no lack. 
It means no lack of choices, no lack of opportunities. Don't box me in. Make sure that I can do whatever I want to do. Freedom in our culture is something that we must pursue, that we're trying to to get. Uh, It's about choices and options and opportunities that you grab at. And often freedom is expressed through escape. If I I can get out of this to get to this, then that will be freedom. Or if you can't escape, it becomes escapism. If I'm in this and I can't get out of this, I'll escape through my mind. I'll find a way to watch this or do this or play this game or pretend to be somebody that I am not. Freedom is incredibly, uh, we have an incredibly deficient view of freedom, but, but, but biblical freedom is other. Freedom in in scriptures doesn't come by pursuing freedom. Indeed, the problem is if you pursue freedom, you become a slave to the pursuit of freedom. (laughs) And you can see it all around, can't you? People who are a slave to the pursuit of being free, to do what I want to do any old time, and how destructive that whole philosophy is. No, no, no. Freedom, according to the Bible, comes by the law of indirect effort. Freedom comes by trusting God. Freedom is a person, not a practice. Freedom comes by grace. You receive grace, the free gift of God. You receive freedom. You flow in grace, the free gift of God. You flow in freedom. And Paul is speaking into this context, and this is, this is really so important that you understand this context, says Paul. Now listen, before we get into the passage, it's no good me continuing to preach about freedom while there are maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 different definitions of freedom in this room. So we're going to agree to have my definition of freedom just for the next few, few minutes. All right? Or at least you're going to need to understand what my definition of freedom is so that we can understand what I'm going to say for the rest of the time. So here's my definition of freedom. Freedom comes as you have the opportunity and the ability and the desire to do the things that will bring you most joy, perfect satisfaction, and complete fulfillment for eternity. Let me give you that again. Freedom is when you have the opportunity and the ability and the desire to do the things that will bring you perfect joy make you totally satisfied and and render you completely fulfilled in all eternity. By which definition, the only people who are totally free on this planet are people who know and follow and love Jesus Christ. And the reason that Paul is so mad and I'm not saying that people aren't free, I'm just saying they're not perfectly free. The reason that Paul is totally mad is he says, you know, this freedom thing, it's not like the icing on the cake of Christianity. Oh, you get Jesus and you get grace and you get love, and then if you get really well and you go through a bunch of counseling and you do a few courses, you then get free. He says, no, 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 it's not the icing on the cake of Christianity, it is total Christianity. If you don't have freedom in Christ, you've not got it at all. 
If you haven't got freedom in Christ, you haven't got it at all. And if anybody is trying to rob your freedom, they're trying to rob Jesus from you. They're trying to rob grace from you. They're trying to rob life from you. It's, it's an abomination. That's why he gets so mad. Freedom, he says, is a choice. And so Paul writes this allegory about Hagar and the slave woman, and, and we need to understand this if we're ever going to understand what he's trying to say. And it's quite complex and complicated, and I'll try and give you it as quickly as I know how, which doesn't mean not giving you lots of words, just means talking very fast. Okay, so here we go. Hagar is the slave woman. Her son is Ishmael, and we're told according to the scripture that he was born according to the flesh. In other words, he was just born the same way every one of you were born. But Sarah represents a free woman whose child was conceived miraculously when she was 90 years of age and Abraham was 100 years of age, which by any accounts is a miracle. And so here's, here's a brief account of what happened in Abraham's life so you understand how important this is. At age 75, Abraham was called by God and promised that he would have many descendants. So some of you here are 75 or over. How many here are 75 or over? And there is a, brilliant, isn't it? Isn't that fantastic? There is a tendency, I guess, when you get to the, you know, a certain age and stage to think probably the best years are past. Probably the time when God is going to use me for the significant stuff is gone. But actually Abraham doesn't get to do the significant thing. He doesn't even get to hear about the significant thing until he's 75 years of age. Isn't that encouraging? Yeah, maybe. At age 85, 85, so 10 years later, listen to this, the promised son had not yet arrived. So he's hanging on for the promise of God, age 75. He must be beginning to think it's not going to happen. 85 years of age, the promised son had not arrived, and Sarah, his wife, becomes impatient, which you don't blame her for. She suggests that Abraham marry Hagar and have a son by her. At age 86, Hagar gets pregnant and Sarah gets jealous. It's just, it's just human nature, isn't it? Hagar, who suggested this thing, I'm sorry, Sarah suggested this thing, Hagar gets pregnant, Sarah gets jealous. And things are difficult in the home, so difficult that Sarah throws Hagar out of the home, but the Lord brings Hagar back to the home. And at, at, at age 86, a son is born to Abraham and to Hagar, and he calls the son Ishmael. At age 99... God speaks again to Abraham and promises again that he would have a son by Sarah and she's to call his name Isaac. And at age 100, the son is born to Sarah and he's named Isaac as commanded by God. But the arrival of Isaac causes problems in the house because Ishmael has been the only son in the house for 14 years. So he's been like the apple of his parents' eye and then Isaac comes along and there's a whole bunch of strife and trouble. There's a new kid on the block. At age 103, Abraham's still alive. It was the custom at the age of three to wean the child and have a ceremony. And at the feast, Ishmael mocks Isaac. And it creates havoc in the home. And Hagar and Ishmael have to go. They have to leave. And we don't understand, and we're not going to go into the whole detail, or we don't really understand because we don't live in that day and age, why it had to happen, and should it happen. And today and age, today's day and age, we're probably trying to make it all work together in some way, shape, or form. But you have to understand this. The point is this. Law and grace, as philosophies of life and ways of life, cannot coexist. 
You can't have grace for yourself and law for everybody else. If the way in is grace, the way on has to be grace. You can't receive the grace of God. God loves me because he loves me because he loves me. I can have a relationship with God and then live that relationship with God by law and rote and rule and regulation and think that you're doing a good thing. Hagar has to go. If you want to live in promise... You can't have two covenants. So here's the thing. God has promised us Isaac, but most of us settle for Ishmael. God has promised us Isaac, but most of us settle for Ishmael and then wonder why we're not free. God has promised us so many things in this life, life in all its fullness, forgiveness, participation in his plan for this world to gift you in line with his calling on your life. But the lesson from the story is this. God can overrule natural law to bring your promise to life if you don't settle for Ishmael. God can overrule natural law to bring your promise to life if you don't settle for Ishmael. But if you settle for Ishmael, you may end up missing the whole deal. Don't miss your promise. More than that, don't get hold of your promise with your human hands and try to speed it up. Get your hands off your promise. Don't circumnavigate your promise. Don't do it in your own strength your way because that's just evidence of the fact that you don't trust the promise, you don't trust the promise giver, and you certainly don't trust his timing. You're not hanging out for the supernatural intervention. You're settling for the natural fix. You're saying, I'll settle for this because I'm not really sure about this. Because although God has said this, although God has promised this, although God has given me a picture of this, although God's given me a passion in my heart for this, although God's given me a dream for this, I'm not really sure that he is really who he says he is. I'm not really sure that he's able to come through with the things that he said he's going to come through with. So I'm going to settle for this. I'm going to hold on to this. And I'm going to grab at this. Don't settle for something that's not his promise because it's just better than what you had before because you will miss his best I am sure, I'm sure I'm sure that sometimes I'm sure of this because I do it I'm sure that sometimes we think that by circumnavigating or speeding up the plan of God that will lead us to freedom if we can just, yeah, let's make this happen let's do this, let's manipulate this let's, let's talk to these people, let's ask for this let's, let's work in that particular way that somehow that will lead to freedom but, but all this passage tells us is that it will lead to separation and to slavery I mean, ch- check it out when Sarah and Hagar take the shortcut to God's plan Hagar ends up despising Sarah Ishmael ends up despising Isaac and Abraham and Sarah end up dissatisfied. <laughs> it's pretty corrupt, isn't it? When, when they circumnavigate the plan of God and try and speed it up and make it happen in their own terms, in their own time, and in their own way, every relationship ends up in dysfunction. i tell you why. Because you, when you take matters into your own hands, you move out of trust, you move out of the arena of grace, And if you're not careful, you move into the arena of manipulation and you start to try and manage it according to your strength, your abilities, your competences. And it results in human effort, 
human competition and human jealousy. And it will destroy every relationship. But God is wanting something bigger for you. What, what, what he's wanting for you is his plan in his way, in his timing. And your plan is always less. Every, I know I'm laboring the point a little bit. But, but every time, this is so important because I see it all the time. Every time we strive and drive to achieve something that God has said he will provide, we miss out on the opportunity to cooperate with God's plan. And we miss out on the miracle. Every time we settle for Ishmael, we miss out on the benefits of Isaac. Every time. I just wonder sometimes how much of the supernatural ways of God do we miss out on? Because we're grabbing at stuff and holding on to stuff and planning stuff and organizing stuff and making it happen and manipulating stuff and, and circumnavigating stuff. Because God's got a plan and his plan is good and he's always working out his plan and what he's wanting is availability not just your competence he's wanting your availability to his plan he's saying do you trust me we settle for Ishmael I see it all the time I see it in some young people I see, I see young people settling for Ishmael because they're so desperate for companionship and I don't blame them that they grab at the first relationship available because they're trying to circumnavigate God's plan. I'm not waiting, I'm not asking, I'm praying, I'm just, that, that'll do. And I see them regretting it for the rest of their life. Because they settle for the natural fix rather than the supernatural solution. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna work it out. I'm gonna hold on to it. I, I see people settling for Ishmael when they look around at other people's gifting and other people's gracings, graces, and they say, I want that, and if I can have that and make that and do that, and they're missing out on the grace that they have and the gifts that they have. And instead of living in the flow of God, they're living in this kind of strive and drive to be someone they're not really created to be but because that's what they've said is the cool thing to be or the right thing to be. And they're grabbing on to Ishmael and they let go of Isaac. And it just creates slavery. It creates slavery. I'll tell you why. See, when we train our wounded hearts to know that the way to get on is to take matters into our own hands, and when we do it enough times, we, come, we become bound to a rhythm and a pattern from this moment onwards that will be a cycle of drive and drudgery and achieve that will leave us slaves to a life of settle and strive and dissatisfaction rather than rest and flow and grace and freedom. And I see it all the time because we're hanging on for Ishmael rather than waiting out for Isaac. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. But you have to choose to live the promise rather than the pragmatic. You have to choose to live for the promise rather than grabbing at the pragmatic. So here's, here's the question. Why did those of us who know about grace lack freedom? Why do those of us who've been, who've been brought up on a diet of grace, you know, we've heard it week on week, we've read it in the scriptures, we've sung songs about it, we know that there's no way into the kingdom of God without grace. Why do so many of us lack freedom? I'm not sure, but let me try two reasons. Reason number one. 
is because we've forgotten the character of God. We've forgotten how great God is and how good God is. I mean, it's really that simple. We've forgotten that God is the Lord of the angel armies. We've forgotten that God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide, that God is the one who can protect us, that God is the great shepherd. We've forgotten that God is El Shaddai, the Lord Almighty, and we've forgotten that he is more than able to provide everything that he's told us he will provide and that he always follows through with his promises. So we've forgotten how great he is. At the same time, we've forgotten how good he is. We've forgotten that his primary name in the New Testament is Abba, Father, which means that he is always out for our benefit. He always loves us. He's always working on our behalf. He's always wanting to take those incredible qualities and collide them with our incredible needs to provide for the vision and the, the, the promise that he's given to us. But we forget that. We, we, we forget that in the middle of the anxiety, in the middle of the striving, we forget that God has a plan for us. And secondly, we, we don't just forget the plan of God and the person of God. We allow culture and reason and tradition and feelings to become the authority of our lives. We allow what the world says about getting on and moving on and having freedom. We allow what, what, what our parents have always done to provide for us. We allow, we allow what we think at this current moment or what we feel about life to become the authority of our life that we place the weight of our life on and we walk down the road of that authority rather than allowing the grace of God and the freedom of God and the promises of God and the word of God to be the authority of our life. And so, of course, from that posture, it's really hard to believe for the supernatural stuff. Because that's the stuff we don't see. That's the stuff that's hard to believe. That's the very nature of the supernatural stuff. It's very hard to put our weight, the weight of our life on that. It's very hard to take risks. It's very hard to, 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 to plant a church. It's very hard to do these things because it's not sure and it's not certain. And how are we going to pay the bills? And what about our kids? But hold out for Isaac. Don't hold on to Ishmael. Every time we choose, listen, listen carefully, every time we choose escape and escapism and control, it ends no place good. Moses chooses water from a rock right now and he doesn't get into the promised land. David chooses just a moment or two of sexual gratification on a rooftop. And we all know what happened. And he can't build the temple that he so longs to build because he has blood on his hands. But Jesus shows up. And he's got a very, very different perspective on freedom. And he's got a very, very different perspective on grace. And he's, he, he carries grace and he offers freedom. And he says this, listen, let me show you how to get and live in freedom and grace. Are you tired and worn out? He says. Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, don't hang on for Ishmael in your own strength. Hold out for Isaac. Don't force rhythm. Stop striving and driving to do the right thing. Religion will kill you, will burn you, will, will, will destroy you. But freedom is found in me, in my rhythms, in my timing, in my gifting, in my grace. But when you begin to look at Jesus, it's a weird thing he's saying. He's saying freedom is found in me, but, but, but when, you, when you check out Jesus, it looks like it shouldn't be freedom. Because clearly if you choose Jesus, it narrows choice. If you choose Jesus, it looks like it restricts freedom. And Jesus says, yes, I am the way. It's a narrow way. You have to walk down this path. There are certain things you can do and certain things you can't do, and there's a certain way that leads to my Father. Yes, I am truth. In a world of, 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 of um, relative truth, where it's your truth, my truth, anyone's truth, whatever you want to believe truth is, Jesus says, I am truth definitive on which you can place your life. And that way and that truth is freedom because I am also life in all its fullness. I am the opportunity and I am the ability, and I am the desire, and I am the joy that's gonna nail all these things together, and I am freedom. That's what it looks like to be free, to commit ourselves to the person of Jesus. So here's the thought. For a day in which we commission a new church plan in Oxgangs, and, and it applies to everybody else who's not going to ox gangs as well, and some of you who will end up going other places. It is possible as a church to miss out on the promise because we settle for Ishmael rather than hold out for Isaac. Because we forget grace and we end up bound and we don't walk right. It is, it is, guys, not uncommon to plant a church on grace and then create a church of law that disables grace. It's not uncommon to start off with a whole bunch of good ideas about how we are going to pursue the space that God is calling us into and then begin guarding and protecting that space. It's not uncommon for a community that starts out with grace to become a community of jealousy and conformity and restriction and rule where everyone has to walk at the same way at the same pace and you limit freedom because you miss out on the promise and you settle for less. How do you resist settling for Ishmael? Let me just give you a few points at the end of our time from that passage in Isaiah 54. The prophet says, sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Do, do, do something that's ridiculous in, in the now for something you're trusting for the future. I mean, it's a stupid thing you're doing. Sing, O barren woman who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who are never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Hold on to a huge picture of God. Don't let go of a massive picture of God. 
that he is able to do more than you can ask or imagine, that his vision for your life is bigger than the vision you currently have for your life, that his vision for ox gangs is bigger than your vision for ox gangs, and he wants hundreds of ox gangs, uh, plants all over the place, because he has a plan. Hold on to a massive picture of God. And, and then listen, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Not only hold on to a huge picture of God, but believe that God is the God who wants to fill things with his grace and clear ground and make space. And clear ground and make space. God is the God who wants to fill things. He's always wanting to fill things, but so often we've stuffed our life full of Ishmaels that there's no space for Isaac. There's no space for God to come and do the promise. We've not allowed space for him to do this thing. And then pursue depth. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Pursue depth and let him worry about expanse. The, 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 the most exciting meeting at Oxgans Community Church, if this is true, should be the prayer meeting. Where you say, God, we're choosing not to stand on our own competencies. We're letting go of our Ishmaels. We're hanging out for Isaac that we don't see yet. We're going to rejoice in the expectancy that Isaac is coming. And we're going to open and make space. It's going to look a bit stupid. And the way in which we're going to do it is we're going to put our ten pegs deep into the knowledge of you. I'm going to ask you to show up and do something incredible. We're going to go for supernatural solutions rather than natural fixes. So choose grace. It's a very stark choice. Choose law or choose grace. Choose grace if you want freedom. Make some space if you want freedom. Make some margin and some space in your life that if God doesn't show up, you fall flat on your face. That's freedom. Submit to his pace. He, he's got perfect rhythm and perfect timing and he knows you perfectly and he's analyzed it correctly and he knows when you need what you need and he can be trusted to come through with his promise and seek his face and seek his face. And you will find freedom that the world doesn't know anything about, but will change your life. Let's pray together. I suspect that um, all over this, this room there are people, maybe even all of us, who have chosen Ishmael at times over Isaac. Sometimes out of frustration, sometimes out of fear, sometimes, sometimes it was just expedient to do so. But in the quietness now, maybe just an opportunity to let go. I'm not going to hold on to Ishmael any longer. I'm hanging out for Isaac. I'm not going to trust in my stuff anymore because my stuff doesn't bring me freedom. In fact, it brings me the opposite. And I'm done with slavery. I'm done with the drudgery. I'm done with the striving. 
I'm done with the pursuit of freedom. I want to pursue the freedom bringer. I'm done with law. I'm hanging out for grace. So maybe just symbolically you would open, open your hands and let go of Ishmael. I'm done with it. And I tell the Lord that you're hanging out for Isaac and his timing and his power and his promise and his grace. Thank you, God. So Holy Spirit, just invite you to come all over this room. Come and bless my brothers and my sisters. Come and bless us as radical disciples who are hanging out for the promise. And we're not going to settle for something less than what you've said to us, than what you've offered to us. We're not going to talk about grace and live law. We're not going to ask for rest and live strife. We're hanging out for Isaac and for your promise. Thank you, God.